This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is always good to start the day with you. Remember, if you have feedback or comments or questions or topics that you would want to address, we have set up a new email, thegospelforlifeidaho at gmail.com. So we would love to engage with you, our tens and tens of listeners. We are also going to just once again put out there that we have a conference coming up in September, September 22nd and 23rd. Um, Right now, Jonathan Gibson is coming, and we're excited about that. And if you want, you may be in prayer about the second speaker at this point in time. We don't have our second speaker, so um, just be thinking about that. As it gets closer, we get more concerned about it, so we would love to have that person nailed down. Yeah, we, pray hard because you'll have to have rest. If, if That's if right. We, yeah. You do not want the alternatives. Yeah, they're sitting around the table. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, One they of us. We'll flip a coin. Yeah. We are going to be looking at mm-hmm. a new topic for a little while. We're, we're going to address some principles of progressive Christianity. Well, that's the foil. I mean, they're not, yes. we don't want anybody to adopt them, but uh, this is the this is the real foil. I mean, it's we're going to respond to mm-hmm. some principles of progressive Christianity. This is actually a newer phrase for at least for me. Um, I don't know the history of when it first began. In my growing up era and years, we would have called this liberal Christianity. Maybe many of you or some of you have read Machen's book, um, Christianity and Liberalism. Um, this is really the same thing that Machen was was addressing almost 100 years ago now. Yeah. Or is it 100 years yes. ago now? The, Probably the old, is. The old is mm-hmm. new. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just old news happening to new people. New packaging. So mm-hmm. let's just give the listener, well, what is progressive Christianity? And we're going to be using Michael Kruger's book, um, The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, to respond to some of these ideas about progressive Christianity. But maybe it would be helpful for the listener just to have a little quick, quick little blurb about what is it? What are we talking about? Yeah, maybe it's a little too nuanced but I, I would say like liberal Christianity rooted in, in the idea of liberty, it, it wants to free itself from some of the constraints. So things like the authority of scripture, the deity of Christ, and some of the major doctrines. It wants to free itself from those and, and, and move away from them. Progressive Christianity, much like cultural progressivism, sees itself marching toward a more glorious future. And so there are things that, that it's moving from and, and away from and toward and, and newness in, in the idea of Christianity. But that, but that future is actually leading them to the very liberalism that that would take them from Scripture, yeah, I think, from Christ, and yeah, both are headed toward error. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's helpful to remember uh, Satan doesn't have any new tricks; he just polishes up the old ones, redresses it in different clothing, and presents it as new. But it's 
it's ends in the same result. And I think it's just helpful to know that as we talk about some of the principles, Kruger will call them commandments of progressive Christianity, you need to understand that some of what they're saying is true. Mm-hmm. And that's the danger, that they're mixing some truth with some error that leads you in a trajectory that eventually gets you into full error. But it starts with a, this mixture and so it really does take discernment to say, okay, what are they saying? What in what they're saying is something that we need to to understand and be aware of, and and what is there in what they're saying that a denial is just unbiblical, not mm-hmm. true, unhealthy, and kind of one of the re- reform principles that helps in that is sola scriptura that we need to hearken back to that. It's the example that Jesus gave in his temptation, you know, Satan there. Uh, used a little bit element of truth in some of his notations and quoting scripture back to Jesus, but Jesus rightly went back to scripture and the full truth of it to combat it. So the first principle of progressive Christianity that's set forward is this idea that Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. And then just to flesh that out a bit, what they would argue is when given the choice between worshiping Jesus which requires that he is divine, and merely looking at Jesus as a good moral guide, progressives have always favored looking at him as a good moral guide. So instead of worshiping Christ, they see Christ as as an example simply to follow in our day-to-day affairs. So let's break this down. What, what's 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 correct in this? What's wrong in this? How would we respond to this principle of progressives yeah i think jesus himself claimed to be more than just a moral example he didn't come preaching morality he came preaching the kingdom of god and himself as the messiah embodying that and so if he's if he's limited to just a moral example or that's the primary thing we're looking at you you have to do away with much of his teaching and much of his ministry just in the gospels themselves let alone everything that paul does to expose uh, who jesus is in the epistles i think it was a c.s lewis who yeah famously said that Jesus was either lying or he was a lunatic or he was telling the truth. Yeah. And, you know, throughout, especially, especially the, the gospel of John. The of you to yeah. say right. that he's Lord. But right. Yeah, 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 that's right. I know. I knew I got it wrong. Anyway, <laughs> but the gist is there, but especially in the gospel of John, you just read through all of those I am sayings that Jesus has. He's, he's clearly connecting himself back to the burning bush and the great I am and things like before Abraham was, I am. And I mean, his audience knew exactly what he was saying because the multiplication, they tried to kill him because they thought he was blaspheming, equating himself with God. And the idea is that the, the progressive will say he's just merely an example. You know, we would recognize that he is an example, but they would say that's all he is. He's not divine. And uh, your, your quote from C.S. Lewis is actually repeated oftentimes, and even in this book uh, that we were talking about by Kruger, is C.S. Lewis offers this well-known quote on Jesus as just a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. 
you must make your choice. So it's that trilemma of Lord, liar, or lunatic. And you could even add another one now that people will come up with is Lord, liar, lunatic, or myth. And, and all those things are dealt with in God's word. It, you can't do myth. It's not an L. Yeah, you can't do it. Legend. Legend. It's interesting. As you go through the Gospels, there are part of, of the difficulty, if I can say it that way, of reading the Gospels is that we get a familiarity where we, we miss some of the statements that Jesus makes that actually demonstrate in theological terms his Christology, the fact that he is God incarnate. I was just reading through the Gospel of Luke for a Bible study I'm in, Luke 15. It's interesting that when you're in Luke 15, the familiar stories of the, of the lost coin and, and the lost sheep and, and the lost sons. But in the, those statements, Jesus makes this claim that there is more rejoicing in heaven or there's a rejoicing in heaven over the lost being found. Mm-hmm. And you think about that, how, how can he say that? Mm-hmm. Because of what John says in his Gospel that he came down from there. Mm-hmm. He can declare what's happening in heaven because he witnessed it. Yep. And it it's a divine statement that's tucked kind of mm. inconspicuously within these par- this parable of Luke 15 that he just makes it. It's a definitive declarative statement. This is what is happening in heaven. And it's it's fascinating to me we read over that and we don't even pause. We just keep going. But that's actually Jesus declaring, I'm God, come down, and I can tell you what happened in heaven because I was there. Mm-hmm. And it, those permeate the Gospels. I mean, other than, you know, you've got these outright claims that Ryan was talking about, the I am statements, mm-hmm. but all of these people are worshiping him yeah. through, <laughs> throughout the Gospels. That should mm-hmm. be an anathema to Jesus unless he is actually the one that is worthy to be worshiped. Which one he the, was. One of the, the, I think, always amazes me, and you read the Gospels, is time after time, one of the truest testimonies you have of who Jesus is comes from demons. Mm-hmm. When he interacts with the demon-possessed people and interacts with demons, they, they are in terror mm-hmm. before him, and they, they cry right, out for mercy so. to him. And, uh, he, and he receives that, and he doesn't... That was one of the things that I did a series a while back on the angel of the Lord, you know, cause the, you, you can, we can kind of get the idea, not that we do it purposely, that maybe the son of God was just kind of twiddling his thumbs, waiting for his time to, to be, you know, come as Jesus and do his work. But, you know, throughout the old Testament, when you have the angel of the Lord appearing, that is the second person of the Trinity. And uh, we know that because it's, he receives worship. He's not just an angel. He's not just a messenger. Cause whenever angels, are seen people fall down in fear and they immediately say get up i'm i'm just a servant like you but the angel of the lord when people see him they fall down in fear and he receives their worship david murray has an actual uh, great little mini series teaching series on the angel of the lord he also has a chapter in his jesus on every page that mm-hmm. is helpful yeah that was a great book uh, yeah. on that as well so if you are wondering about those um, i would refer you to to him I'm going to make a statement that on the surface might be disturbing, and so you guys can (laughs) jump in and correct and do what you need to do. But in some ways, progressive Christianity and fundamentalism sometimes end up on the same place. And what I'm referring to is sometimes they both make Christianity about moralism. Right. Yeah, totally. 
Right. And yeah, they're on different. Di- they're in different ditches, but they've actually ended up in the same fundamental error. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there and let you guys respond or correct. Well, Jesus and his taught his disciples uh, in Luke. Um, I could look it up here, but I, I'm blanking on the exact chapter, so you guys could help me out. If, but he says that do not think, do not think that I've come to bring peace. Uh, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. And we get this idea, we see it in progressive Christianity, this idea of getting along with everyone, making peace, and working towards kind of almost like a kumbaya peace on earth. Maybe that's an oversimplification. But then you also see it more kind of on the idea of those that are pursuing some political agenda to get, you know, Christ's kingdom here on earth. That's not why Jesus came. There will always be a sword because until he comes back, we will always have two groups of people those who are his and those who are not his. And as long as those two groups of people exist side by side, there will always be conflict and there will always be hardship. Yeah. One of the things that Kruger points out in this uh, little chapter is he's uh, working through their, their problem of just seeing Jesus as a great moral example. If he is only a moral example, uh, he, he really has nothing binding or authoritative to say to us. Because he's just another human being, he's just—he's not even divine. Um, and if if he does, if he doesn't have divine authority, we can take what he says and, and use it, or uh, or just set it aside. But we're told in in the Gospel of John, and it comes back to his deity at the end of the book in chapter twenty. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And we'll end there. We'll see you tomorrow.